Welcome to the Stuck Mic Podcast, the podcast created for all pilots, new and old. My name is Tim, and each episode, alongside guests and regulars Davey, Robin, and Gary, we will be bringing you honest and open content from inside the world of aviation. Our aim is to create a global community for conversation and support, and to tailor the content to you, the listener, over each series. We bring you this podcast remotely, as currently we are all grounded due to this pandemic. We sincerely hope that you find interest, support, and enjoyment from the content. We aim to cover topics such as corona, mental health, failure, and recruitment in this series, as we focus on the world of aviation right now and what we hope the future holds. If you're enjoying this podcast, please like, review, and share it, as it allows us to create a larger community. Now, on with the podcast. Hello and welcome to the next installment of the Stuck Mike podcast. If you're a first-time listener, we invite you to check out our previous episodes on topics such as Can Corona End Pay to Fly, Back to the Financial Black, and Can Pilots Accept Failure? If you're a returning listener, once again, we'd like to thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's contest, uh, content entitled Raw Data Recruitment. Today, as always, I'm joined by regulars Gary, Davey, and Robin, and today we're joined by a special guest, Søren, who is here to help provide some insight and expertise on pilot assessments. We invite you as always to check out our content on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and LinkedIn. Just search for the Stuck Mike podcast. Gentlemen, are we all doing well? First of all, Søren, welcome. How are you? Thank you very much. Uh, pleasure to be on. Um, I'm doing well, thank you. Uh, still somewhat in aviation, but not, uh, let's call it, uh, main aviation uh, business these days. Well, no problem. Robin, how are you? Good, thank you. Happy to be back and uh, looking forward to uh, for this one to get going. Excellent. Gary? Yeah, I'm good. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me again. Uh, last but not least, Davey. Good as always. Ready to do another one. Exciting. Let's go, boys. Perfect. Excellent. So good to hear, guys. Let's get into today's podcast, Raw Data Recruitment. Our aim for this episode is to take a candid look inside the recruitment process and to dissect how to best prepare yourself for an assessment, as well as sharing our experiences and hopefully some expertise along the way. Firstly, Søren, would you like to give us a little introduction on who you are and what you've been involved with? Of course. Um, started out uh, flying commercially in 2008 in Air Baltic. was there for uh, three years on the 737 Classic. Um, after that, moved on to uh, private air in Switzerland for two and a half years, three years. Uh, initially flying BBJ um, and a, uh, what do you call it? A BBJ2, they called it. But it, actually, the BBJ was the one uh, we flew initially. Uh, and then finally, uh, 757 with them. Um, 2013 uh, went to Norwegian. 2015 went into uh, long haul in Norwegian. Uh, and also joined the recruitment team in uh, 2016 in uh, in Norwegian. Uh, got fired with uh, what is it 4,704 other colleagues in uh, in April last year, uh, when Corona sort of set everything on fire, and uh, and then we went uh, went into to no job for a while, and I laid roof for a while, and then the last uh, few months I've been flying drones actually for Integra Aviation Services in uh, in the Odense, Denmark. Okay, perfect. And uh, you were in the recruitment team for a couple of years, I think. Yes, I was there for three years. Uh, initially as a, as a recruiter and later on as a lead screener. Perfect. Fantastic. Okay, guys. Um, so first thing we want to talk about a little bit is uh, our experience of assessments and also what type of assessments we face. 
um, it seems a lot uh, that the assessments are, are quite different on different airlines on what they're looking for. So, uh, Davey, what is your experience of your recruitments? So, um, my experience of recruiting is quite limited, as I've only had three aviation-related interviews in my life. To be fair, they're all quite different. So, um, one is very, very tech-heavy. Um, they basically threw every single ATPL book at me, all sorts of questions you would not know unless you've revised every single subject before the interview thoroughly. Uh, another one, a bit of a mix of H&R and tech, which I quite liked. Nice, nice, healthy balance. Uh, even though my favorite one was um, fully HR based, it was a very relaxed atmosphere. It's just set with the recruiters. It's more like a casual chat, getting to know you, uh, who you are. See, can we sit next to you for 10 hours? Tiny, tiny bit of technical to it, but very, very, very limited. Um, which I, which I really liked, just because of the atmosphere. It just, it just flowed, and it just was over before I knew. So as you can see, it's it's very different amongst airlines. Uh, which one is the best? Um, uh, I'll leave it over to the experts, to be fair. <laughs> and what about you, uh, Robin? Yeah, I have quite some experience in uh, in assessments. I did uh, like a, a dozen or so. Um, I started my the first one in 2007. I've seen a tendency in changing the type of assessment. In the beginning, around 2007, it was really uh, technical-based. A lot of technical questions, ATPL questions, and later on, towards towards like last year or so, it's, it's getting more and more personality based. So I think, uh, in my opinion, airlines start to realize that personality based might be a more appropriate way to find pilots for their company, and maybe it's more safe. Yeah, go ahead. And do you think that's um, also perhaps based on experience? Because um, I also wonder if the, the, the type of assessment you get is also fitting with your experience, right? Because I would imagine all of us for our first interview for a cadet position, it must have been relatively tech heavy. And then I suppose that later on during the career, there may be a different emphasis on that. Perhaps. Yeah, maybe you're right in that because uh, half my career I changed to captain and then I applied for captain position afterwards and then yeah, you have different type of questions. Yeah, I agree on that. I can agree on that. Exactly. And also in the simulator they expect you to, to have a different way of operating than, than when you're applying for a first office position. Uh, they, they want you to more like being on decision based and cooperation. So yeah, yeah, you agree on that. And Gary, what about you? Uh, various. My first job actually, well, I've, I've past very few but uh in all honesty but my the one that i did um when my first job was we had to do like a it was a very general chat but at the same time i had to do like a little load like a load sheet kind of math style little thing um but uh, i've done various ones for the legacy carriers um doing some of the really sort of nitty gritty hard like you know your asian uh, airlines uh so you know some of the mass stuff and all the the atpl stuff various competency based ones so I've, I've done a various range of them um yeah all over all over the shop and certain for you i mean obviously you have experience of being on the other side of the table if you look back from your assessments um, do you think you're able to identify what type of um assessment that they that you've been undertaking um yeah I, I, my experience is a lot like robin's uh, I've, I've had uh, I guess three, four, maybe, if we take a little uh, single engine job I had on a Cessna. Um, 
But yeah, for sure, there's there's a, some sort of a line in it, but at the same time, it's also a mix. I think there's a, there's a little bit of everything in it, but there's there's usually some sort of a general line through it. Um, in Air Baltic, it was uh, ATPL questions um, uh, back then, um, and then you had a a long, long psych test. We we sat down with a psychologist for five hours, um, which is also a little bit absurd. I mean. Um, it would some say maybe, uh, but that was the, the style back then in 2008, and and we did a, a simulator check on a, on Microsoft Flight Sim with a, a an outrageously touchy yoke, <laughs> <laughs> so so some might even feel that that was unrealistic in all ways, um, and then in in private air, uh, a lot more relaxed, a lot more. Um, um, basically an, an explanation from them as to what the company was like and, and this is for for you guys to see us and then of course we will have a chat with you in a sim and uh, and then finally the last one was uh, was very much hr based and there was an assumption a little bit like uh, uh, like tim said that you have your 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 experience already at that point so maybe they focus more on the personal side of things than than the actual technical part yeah it's interesting i mean a, a lot of I think there has been also a shift. I think, Robin, you're also right on what you say. That um, I think when uh, well, we all sort of started roughly the same time, and I think we all heard the same sort of stories about if you're going for that recruitment, make sure you're wearing this type of shoes or all that kind of stuff. And it seems like there's mm. been more of a, a shift into more competency-based or or more a um, a look at the the KSA model, which is like the knowledge, skills, and attitude. And I guess, depending on what stage you are in your career, um, you could say that a certain amount of knowledge has to be assumed and a certain amount of skill you're going to test in the simulator. So actually, the, the thing you really test in an interview is, is the attitude, right? Yeah, I think, I think you're right in that. Yeah, uh, just wondering, uh, maybe a thought and also a question, sir, like, does it also um, depend on the, the kind of incidents happen in a company, perhaps? Like uh, if, if they have a lot of people failing the technical exams in the in the training, they focus more on the technical side. Or if they have a lot of CRM-related issues in the company, they look at the personality-based. So it, it can change within the company as well, right, uh, within years. Definitely. Um, that, that definitely has an effect. And, um, and in one airline where I was, uh, we had issues with a certain type of recruitment and that ended up in people not being able to pass a type rating so it was really skilled guys that was, were picked uh, but at the end of it there was some uh, some competencies missing that uh, that the airline was was in need of basically so it definitely has an effect that said uh, recruitment strategy has to be a sort of a long-term strategy what it's a philosophical philosophy what do you call it it's a philosophy what you want with your people and how you want to treat them and train them and and have them uh, enter the company basically yeah it's also i mean it's like the, it's the first aspect of the cultural uh you're the, you're the first cultural architects that anybody meets when they come for an interview you're the first representation of the company and also what what they expect of you so i think it's very important that the recruitment side of things is very much angled into what you want and what you expect of your employees really Yep, I agree with that, and um, and and it's important to remember that an interview or a recruitment process is also an opportunity for the candidate to have a look at the airline and figure out uh, if one wants to be there, basically. And isn't it also like what we've seen in the past few years with some new airlines starting up? So they the airline starts up, and then management starts putting a recruitment team together, 
and you can see there are guys from different backgrounds from like certain airlines and uh, you can see that new airline forming is like a mix of them airlines the, the the recruiters basically have come from which is what i have seen a little bit in in the past i don't know what you guys think about that yeah i think you can definitely see that um and and it's hard to unlearn and especially if you've gone grown fond of procedures in your pre- previous airline basically it's it's natural to bring it with you because you saw it work uh it also transfers into the training department which was was one of the the, the big challenges in in a in a previous airline i was in where where we uh, for a brief moment maybe flew uh, three or four different procedures uh, because it was not clearly stipulated so then people start running into their corners of of what they were used to which is natural i guess how much how much you know this is one thing that i've always wondered because i've i mean doing these and and we 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 had this discussion on on the last um on the last podcast one of my struggles and obviously i don't know anyone that will be listening to this is the um the pilot tests the you know the um the the aptitude tests and and that's one of the things that i you know that's usually the first part of the entire selection process so getting through that you know do you, i mean how much emphasis in your experience do you do you look into that because i find that you know i you, know, you can get some of the people that can do the job very very well they just can't pass that section of the test of, of the of the of the uh, selection process which makes it very difficult for a lot of pilots it's it's a part of the process that uh, I guess it's up to the airline to to lay whatever weight the airline wants on that. Um, uh, and, and now in terms of aptitude, you, you're meaning uh, the, the general. Uh, so basically, the the testing of, uh, of 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 autopilot use, for instance, in a in a synthetic test environment. No, I'm, I'm just talking about online, the you, you know the those sort of mass tests. You get the mass. You get the English comprehension. You get the you know. Um, the, the the quick fire questions you know or you get the multitasking uh comp- you know the the joystick tests you know that like the what, what, you, what you do at home before the assessment you mean no well no i mean you know have you, like um well it can be at home it can be at home but some but gen but like, i know some some carriers i've done in-house um so so you're you're i don't know you might have a joystick and you get numbers going back and you have to know the seat listen to the sequence at the same time you're trying to do something else at the same time you're trying to do something else and 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 work you know and you have to work out when the sequence is different and then click a button or you know or and or you'd get multiple um quick fire multiplication tests or or uh mathematical uh, reasoning tests so you have like 25 minutes to answer or sort of 12 minutes to answer 25 questions um you know some people can't you know um can't can't really cannot get through them but it doesn't preclude them from doing the job yeah i i just had to clarify if you meant the the sort of multitasking part of it or or all of it with the english comprehension and so on uh and that might be my uh english not being my first language uh <laughs> having to ask that question um but but definitely the the that line of testing as a whole has a has a lot of weight because it, it i guess it paints a picture of of the the complete pilot and it should more or less cover and now we're moving a little bit into the competency based uh, recruitment it should cover if not all then many of the competencies that you look for as an airline and of course as robin said earlier there are some competencies that are more important for a, a first officer and some that are more important for a captain 
Uh, and obviously, you would always try and hire a first officer that you can see have potential to, to improve his uh, captain competencies as well. So I think as a whole, and, and just to, to, be, to be clear here, I, I wasn't the head of recruitment, so, so it wasn't my decision to make this. But of course, I could see the product of it uh, as a screener uh, and a lead screener back then. Um, for sure, it has, the general picture has a, has a fairly large weight. The specific areas, I don't know if, if have uh, such a large weight. So if, you're, if your English comprehension isn't great, but good enough, that should be fine if something else is, is, is good. And, and if, you're, if you have a candidate that generally struggle with everything, I guess the, the mantra is that the person might struggle in the flight deck. And uh, the pi- person might not struggle, but uh, if the airline thinks that the person might, then it might be worth taking somebody else that, that isn't. Yeah, and I think it also, um, from my own experience, I think it depends a little bit sometimes if it's, if it's stuff you do um, at home before a potential assessment or whether you do it as part of a, of a step process. So the, um, I think whenever you have like personality-based testing, where you have to choose if you strongly agree or disagree with one thing that you do at home, um, normally they're not pass or fail testing. Normally it's a type of system by which you, you're uh, getting enough information about somebody and then you're using that to frame the assessment. Whereas when you have it as like say uh, DLR type testing, the first stage of a seven day recruitment process, it's really you've set a standard of what you want uh, as the recruitment team and then or the head of recruitment actually and then you have to pass those stages it's it's a step to to narrow it from a lot of applicants to a small amount to take for the simulator to where the expense is basically yeah for sure it's a process and it's a it's the big picture uh communication is is outrageously important uh in all businesses and especially in ours um, but of course, uh, not everyone is perfect in, perfect in English. Uh, it needs to be operational and functional. And then you might have other traits that, uh, that make you a, a better candidate in other areas than some of the, the people that are excellent in, in their communication and English skills. I think one thing, I, I mean, I've definitely had quite a few different types of uh, recruitment experiences. I think I've done uh, four assessments. And uh, one of which was um, really like a seven step recruitment process where you started with NLR based testing, then you had psychological assessment, then you had a day of group exercises, then you had a day of round table technical personality questions with a head of recruitment, head of HR, and then you had a simulator. And you had to pass all of those stages to get to the simulator stage, which is, as I said, the, the expense for the company. But what I found really unusual about that particular process was is that it seemed like you had to get a certain level of competency on all those stages but all it really came down to was the simulator because that particular company and a bit like the question i think that robin posed to uh, to cern um that company they had an issue where they were flying long haul and they needed a certain level of a very high level of raw data skills that's what they wanted to see because they felt the level of your ability to fly a plane would diminish as well as they've seen in their training department. So that was what specifically they were looking for, but the rest of the stages were just narrowing it down to the people they wanted to test that in the simulator. Yeah, I mean, it also depends on the, on the amount of money a company has to, to invest in the recruitment part. Because I did an assessment for a company, a legacy, and they gave uh, they gave all the candidates uh, two simulator sessions, so two times four hours on the 747. 
So they really invested in 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 their pilots to to get to know them. They they said the reason for to simulate the session was not not just to see um, if they're able to fly because they can see that already in thirty minutes, but also to see if it's just a nice guy to fly with. You know, especially when you're flying long haul, you just want to see can I sit twelve hours next to this guy in an airplane. So it was not just a um, flying skill based simulator check it was it was all in general and in between he was asking like all little questions like oh, did you brief the msa and what, what, what does it mean exactly the msa like he was acting like he didn't know himself you know like in a more playful kind of way to to find out your knowledge and skills so i, I actually like this kind of way of, uh, of recruiting yeah and I, I completely agree with that um and that's, that's really an investment to, to put everybody that many hours in the sim um uh, when we were screening a few years ago, we went through, uh, I think it was 1,600 candidates in a year. And the, the expense is immense if you have to put everybody for, through a four-hour uh, session, both in sim time and, and also just in people's time. And actually just the exercise of getting enough people through uh, would be tricky. Um, and that's where if you do a 30 or 40 or 45-minute sim session, uh, that's where the interview becomes increasingly important exactly for as you say robin uh, to figure out can we sit next to this guy on long haul of course but in short haul we have to remember you're also 12 hours next to the person you're just up and down four times which might even uh, add some pressure or a different kind of pressure at least because sitting still next to a guy for 12 hours can also be pressure (laughs) so um, yeah i I agree with that it's it's, there's a lot of finances in it and there's a lot of time constraints if you have to do a, a big recruitment a big expansion for sure and even what you're uh, saying as well, um, Gary, as well, like you, um, I think we would say there are probably a certain types of recruitment. There are, there are people who are looking for competency-based and the competencies that the airlines choose. There are airlines which are looking for more technical or personality-based. And there's also those who are looking purely for a profile. And ultimately, in, in some senses, you, you can't really pass or fail a profile-based assessment because you either fit the profile or you don't. It's not really a question of your skills. It's that even even nowadays there are legacy carriers who just want to fit. You just want to fit that profile because that's where they found their greatest success, and that you will fit in mainly with the with the flight deck atmosphere. So ultimately, you can't really pass or fail that. Yeah, I totally agree. It's it's again we're back to what the airline wants and the the standard or the type they want to recruit and and have in their airline. Um, and also, I think there's a risk in that if you, if you just keep your profile uh, and look for that profile and you never rethink it uh, over the years, then you might get, you might be a little bit in a, in a time pocket there at some point, of course. That's one of the risks, I guess. Uh, but then again, with all the information available about recruitment and people asking each other all the information about it, you can basically make yourself fit the profile. I mean, you know, of course, if you really want to join a company, I mean, you know, how, how, how far is it reliable with all the information out there? and you know what I mean? Yeah, so. but then I think if you got the right psychologist on that, they'll, they'll get through you straight away. I mean, I've done an interview where there was like a, a real psychologist there and she broke me within five minutes. Uh, they, I don't know, they've got like some superpowers and they, they will like make you like a four-year-old crying baby if they want. It's, it's insane. So I think if they really want to see who you are, they, they put the right person on there and you'll be in for a challenge. And also with that as well, um, the the ASA requirements now, ever since the German Wings incident, is that there is more of an emphasis on the psychological side of things. And I don't think, I think they're even going to look about 
how if everybody going for flight training has to have an actual psychological assessment or if you haven't had it during flight training stage that even the airlines when they recruit are going to have to do that stage it's going to have to be proved at some point that everyone has gone through a psychological assessment yeah i totally agree with that tim and and i was just thinking about it when we talked about the when i talked about the five hour session with a therapist to or a psychologist who like davy also totally broke me in in three minutes i think um and we were drawing animals and stuff and uh yeah there's a lot of things going on in your head that that comes out through a pen actually when you just have to draw an animal um all of this process uh i i would assume it has to be increased in some way uh, because there is there are new rules on mental fitness uh within the asa um so yeah for sure but then the problem the only problem is don't you run the risk of because you're still providing a service it's like if you go into a supermarket and you buy a product, you're still providing a service. So whether or not we want to try and make ourselves fit the profile, isn't that what you're doing anyway? Because you're, if someone says to you, well, can I work for this airline or can I work for that airline? Okay, I'll make the profile fit. But that's what you're doing anyway because you're providing... A, you, you couldn't, if, you, if you want to provide the service for that airline, it's the same thing as you're, you're making yourself more marketable. So, you know, you're, 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 you know, you make yourself more appealing. Okay. You know, it might not be you in your personal life, but you are, it's a professional life. You're providing a service. So I, I don't know, don't you run the risk of going in the other direction and saying, well, you're making that person unemployable to the fact that they could actually be marketable. I agree with that completely. Uh, it's a little meta now when we're, uh, are we, are we pretending to be somebody or are we actually that person because we're pretending to, or not pretending, but we're trying to, to adjust ourselves to fit in or adapt ourselves? Uh, I completely agree with that. But also, it's, um, it's, it's also a little bit um, of a motivational side of things, right? Because um, I think from, uh, from my limited experience, and Soren can maybe speak for this as well, um, if you see someone perhaps trying to adapt um, to... to to the, to the profile or to the assessment they're doing. It also shows sometimes, especially when they come with that way, that they've prepared for it as well. So, okay, they've prepared and they've, they've analyzed, okay, what is it this company is looking for? What kind of profile are they looking for? What kind of personality? Um, and then they've spoken to people and they've got as much information. It also shows into the motivation of how seriously they're taking that assessment as well. Because you will get guys who come who just do assessments who are not necessarily focused on that airline. They're focused on a job or looking. But when you see someone really making that effort, you also can see the motivation for them for that job. Well, that's, that's what I was saying. It's like the, the Batman and Bruce Wayne. So they'd have different, you know, you're going to be Bruce Wayne in the day and Batman at night, and you're doing two different jobs. It's like if you go and buy a product in a supermarket, if you've got a product, two of the same product, and one product can do more than one thing that you wanted to do, it's more marketable. So that's why I'm saying if you you can fit a profile or make yourself fit a profile, even if you're making yourself fit the profile, you're still providing, you're still providing, you're offering that service. So I, you know, I just I just think that yeah, I don't know. I, I agree with you both actually, and 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 it, being in an airline or being in any company, any business, uh, any trade really also means that you have to get along with your colleagues, uh, even if you have different opinions for them. So, so it is a skill that needs to be, to be managed. Uh, same as Tim said. I, Tim, actually, I don't agree with you having limited experience in this. I think you're, you're underselling yourself a little bit there. 
but uh, um, what we're moving into then would be some of the competency-based recruitment strategies or some of the competency questions you would ask. Uh, if you ask enough of them, and, and you can ask enough in half an hour or 40 minutes to actually uh, draw a picture in your own mind of, of what this person actually will will handle himself or herself like in a situation in an airline. So for sure there is a, a way for non-psychologists to actually try and get some some truth out of people without them actually knowing that they're giving it. Yeah, I was wondering, sir, like you said before, like we had like 1,600 applicants uh, in my time in Norwegian. Is there like a, like, like, a, like a general common commonality between all of them? Or are they all of them like very different? And I mean, how, how can you how can you tell if, if how different they are? Or do, do you see a commonality? That's my question, actually. Uh, it's, a, it's a combination. Um, yeah, and, and they're a little bit uh, counterparts, actually, which I guess is also natural. Um, now, the, the the company Norwegian itself is, is fairly open-minded and fairly, uh, some people call it the Scandinavian style, you know, where it's, it's fairly, you have to try and think a little bit for yourself and try and, and be a nice guy and try and be, be pragmatic about things. Um, also, uh, the the... the I guess you could say that the, the database of people and the access into an interview in many airlines, including our time in Norwegian, would be through one of the, the big carriers where you have good structure, you have a good training department, maybe even an airline that takes in candidates uh, from the school, or cadets, and are able to train them into airline pilots. Uh, and that's, that's the other opposite side, because that's a lot of structure and a lot of framework. Uh, but if you can combine those two things, then you have a good candidate, I guess. And and for us back then, that was the that was the aim. And I think I don't I don't think I'm divulging a secret and to say that um, that that airline that we were both involved in um, recruitment side, we we didn't have a profile. We did competency based assessments. So being that way, you're assessing someone's knowledge, skills, and attitude. You're not looking for a certain personality, a certain fit for the company. You're trying to look at it in the most dispassionate way possible and saying, okay, you're taking our own preconceptions away, you're trying to at least, and you're just judging that person on those IKEA competencies. So in fact, all of those candidates can be very, very different people. But what we were assessing was the competencies only, not whether they fit into a profile as such. But it's still very difficult to get away from that thing in your head, which is like, ultimately, you, you form an opinion on someone. So that's, it's really, you really have, it's a real struggle, I think, from a recruiter side, because you really want to be objective and looking at only competencies, but you still have a back of your mind thinking about how someone fits into the company. Yep, I agree with that, Tim. And um, as you said, knowledge, skill and attitude. And, and um, if you have somebody who is, who is well-trained and, and skilled, then, then you have your knowledge and skills probably. And then it's the attitude that you sort of try and, and figure out if it'll fit. Okay, guys, that was uh, really interesting. Uh, we're going to move into the next uh, the next half of the podcast now. We'll talk a little bit about how to prepare for an assessment and also what to do and what not to do from our experiences, hopefully provide a little bit of insight. Sora, as our expert, can you give us a general perception of how, to, how you would prepare for an assessment with an airline? Yeah, for sure. Um, it's it's very airline dependent, as we we discussed in the first part of the podcast. Um, 
so that's of course uh, relevant. It's relevant what what the airline is looking for, and and that that we're talking about adapting to to what they might be looking for. It's part of the showing motivation as well. Um, so so basically, you have to of course try and and be sort of sort of knowledgeable about things that you think that might be important generally. Um, ideally, of course, if you have some some handling. Uh, capabilities in you it's it would be nice that they're refreshed somehow either in a sim or that you've flown recently um but i think most importantly actually is to to be well rested and be in a good place in your head when you show up um for me personally if if the choice is between panic study the night before or sleep three hours more it's definitely the sleep i'll take um and it's also the advice i would always give when people wrote an email say hey, i'm going for a norwegian assessment you're there how do i prepare uh you know come well rested and read the documentation you've been uh, you've been handed out make sure you know what you've been handed out from the airline and be ready in your head yeah i think that's very good advice and um i think a lot of the times you know you uh, the more information you can get, sometimes you can oversaturate yourself with information, but the more you can speak to guys who've been through the process, especially perhaps those who've been successful going through the process, the more information you can gather in that respect, the better. I mean, I remember for my first interview, for my first job, which was a cadet position, um, we were asked, um, we knew we were going to be asked a certain amount of technical questions. And I think whenever you're preparing for a first in assessment, one of the things they're always going to talk about is the aircraft you're currently flying, that may also continue the whole way through, uh, but especially at cadet level, know what you've been flying, know what you've been do doing, talking about. But then also, um, I knew from speaking to a number of people that one of the questions they were, were going to ask would be, um, what's different between this airplane and the airplane you've been flying before? And I also knew that they wanted to know, uh, they wanted to ask about jet engines and swept wings and all of these things and wingtips, vortices. So basically, I was I was lucky. I was thrown a curve in the first one, which was they asked me what are the differences between this airplane and the one you flew. So I just listed off all the things I knew they wanted to ask me about. So I said swept wings, uh, wingtips, uh, jet engines, and then it goes, oh okay, that's interesting. Tell me about a jet engine. Tell me about wingtip vortices. And then suddenly we spent twenty minutes talking about technical questions where I already had the answer prepared, and I could see a, almost a little wry smile on the recruiter's face. But I also knew from his perspective, now looking back at it from the upside, which is that, you know, actually that also, that shows that preparation, that shows that motivation, that shows you know what you want to talk about and see. And I think the more information you can gather, the easier your day will be. And especially do come well rested and relaxed. It's very important. Yeah, one thing I learned during the, the interviews I did that in the beginning, uh, that when they asked me a technical question, which is not my strongest side, by the way, the, I just, I just, <laughs> I just, I just froze maybe or something, you know. And later on, I found out that if you don't know something, it's not really necessarily a bad thing or or a failed thing, you know. So don't don't get stuck in like oh I didn't know an answer before. Just tell them what you do know. Like oh I know approximately where to find it, or uh, maybe I will uh, this in this area, it's, it's, it's approximately in this area, but I don't know exactly the answer, you know. So I found out later on that this is a good way to deal with this kind of situations. I completely agree with that, Robin, um, that it's, uh, it's also a sign of strength to say, hey, I don't know, but I will definitely find out. And, uh, and then they might ask, so where, where would you find out? And, and you might know what sort of direction to start shooting. And it, then it becomes a conversation and they, they feel that you're, you're truthful instead of uh, babbling off something that might not be right and that they know that you've got no idea about. Uh, 
uh, that's definitely a, a a better place than uh, than than to try and and absolutely not know, of course. Um, regarding the the good place being in a good place in your head that we discussed earlier, I just wanted to add that it's a it's a broad term, but for me personally, it's about being calm enough to sit down and not be pressured, basically. So it's also a very personal thing. Uh, for for anyone really to figure out what would make me calm. So if you have to start two weeks before and look at sweat wings and jet engines and have a little bit of an idea about that, so it'll come back when we, when you're asked, of course. It doesn't have to be fresh in memory from yesterday. Then that could be your comfort zone. For, for me, I have, have to feel, I might not be well enough prepared at all, but I have to feel well enough prepared because then I'm calm enough and and confident enough, which is also a, a thing that that you don't look like you're uncomfortable in your skin necessarily more than you would be on a normal recruitment day. True. And of course, during, during, during an interview, you can, uh, you, you, you have time to take a deep breath and relax and okay, start over. But in the simulator, if you make a mistake, it's quite difficult to wrap your hand around because it's, it's just, it's just continuing and it's, it's not as easy to, um, to recope from that. Um, I think if you make a mistake in the sim, I think if you're a good recruiter, you should make have a more of a focus on how is he gonna recover from that mistake. I think that is more important than doing a perfect session. I think it, what I would see is somebody makes a mistake. I want to see how he recovers from it. And this, and this, Davy, and this brings me back exactly to something that uh, Gary you asked about earlier about when you're doing these comp uh, these uh, aptitude tests when you're doing something where you're being asked to do something. Uh, uh, with your hands and being asked to do something with your head that's separate and this this all comes back to this and it's why sometimes when you have a psychological assessment they ask you to do those tests because it's about the reaction it's about the honesty in realizing that you've made a mistake it's about accepting it and putting it behind you and actually being able to put it behind you and this comes all the way from the aptitude test you do at flight school all the way to when you're doing a simulator assessment and when you're doing an interview because it's like making a mistake is no problem. Not answering a question is no problem. It's how you go from that point onwards. And that's something which is very common in the aviation theme. And that's, and that's why that's tested, really. And I remember from my own perspective, I did for my flight training school, we had a five hour psychological assessment as well. And one of the ones was you had to tap with your pen on a piece of paper to the sound of a beep. And then you were given numbers and you had to add the numbers together cumulatively unless the number was less and then you had to take it away. And it's almost an impossible thing to do. You can't do that for two minutes and be right all the time. The thing is what the test was and what the psychologist told me afterwards was the test was when you got lost, you had to just wait for the next two numbers and start again. That was the test. Could you reset yourself? Could you say, okay, now I don't know, let's start again. So I think that you see that in common themes that carries on all the way to simulator assessments and to interviews. I completely agree with that, Tim. And it's one of the competencies we worked with back in the day was, uh, was resilience, which is exactly that. Um, so you make a mistake, you admit it to yourself, most importantly, and then you move on with a good conscience. Because it's usually the conscience that's pulling us and that wants to go back and try and do it over, which is not possible. And now you're screwing up the next thing. So, um, so I completely agree with that. And it's one of the really important competencies. Uh, and again, it's honesty huh? towards uh, your colleague next to you. I, I, I messed that up. Sorry. Um, you know, and the other guy will say, no worries. We're on course again. Let's get back to, uh, and then we're, <clears throat> then we're moving on. Um, 
it's ex- extremely important to be to be honest honest to yourself at least and and with your colleague and and from behind in the sim when you're doing an assessment you see that huh? you you can see that people he knows he made a mistake he admitted it to himself and his colleague and now we've moved on and and we're doing well because we're not stuck in it still important uh, very nice yeah thank you sir for sharing uh, like Tim mentioned a little bit before is um, uh, I forgot what I wanted to say <laughs> I know that feeling. Yeah, you can. Don't worry, but you were honest. You admitted it, and then you uh, yeah. and then you stopped it. You didn't. Oh yeah, I, about I, it. I already know. Like uh, you, you can be, you can be. Oh, oh, we can cut that part. It's fine. No, no, uh, it's, you good, can, it's good. You you can be over prepared for a function as well because if you re- think you know exactly what to expect, they can, can they can keep you uh, completely off guard when they ask it a random question, and then you can actually fail the assessment. So yeah, like like Sören said, be arrested. Don't be over prepared. Just be confident enough that you know know your stuff. And this, and this was something which I find a little bit interesting to take back a little bit more onto the, the thread of this whole podcast as well. Um, I think some of us have been through real psychological assessments as uh, part of our aviation career and some haven't. And I think this is something, again, which we all need to be better at. It's something that, okay, the world is probably moving more towards becoming more socially acceptable to talk about mental health, but also about having a real honest understanding of yourself not just from a psychological perspective of an airline looking at you and seeing if you fit, but also from your own perspective. And I think we all find it a little bit frustrating now when we're being asked about our class one medicals and the, uh, the, the aeromedical guys asking us how we're doing mentally. For us, this almost feels like a trap and it almost feels like, what, um, how are you gonna judge that? You know. And I think, I hope that EASA will take this away from that being part of the aeromedical side and being part of an actual, okay, once a, once a year, you go to a psychologist and you have a real honest conversation about yourself and your weaknesses and what you want to improve upon. Because the more we can do that, I think also the better pilots and the better humans will be, especially if we take it out of this macho, you have to be perfect environment. Because as we'll see from this discussion on recruitment, we can't be perfect all the time and we can't be right all the time. So how we react to that and how we work for that will make us better. Well, I, I agree with that, but the only thing is what I don't want to see is this whole psychological thing be taken too far where, because I think people forget that we are still human. I mean, I know that I have anxiety, um, you know, and and I know that, and uh, but it doesn't affect me doing my job at all. Actually, when I'm doing my job, I flourish quite well. And, and, and what you don't want to see is people's, faults being used against them from ever doing the job no but that's that's the point that's why it shouldn't be part of your aeromedical class one assessment that's why it should be something that's that's private that's for you that's for you with a psychologist as part of your aviation health mental well-being this is not about it shouldn't be about an assessment we shouldn't probably be talking about it in a recruitment session of course but it's not it shouldn't necessarily be about that and and if you have that then you can also take that aspect out of the recruitment and you can look more into the competency and the skills and the knowledge because asking asking Surin or I to do a, a psychological assessment on someone during a, a recruitment is, is is not doesn't work we can give a assessment on their aptitudes and their attitude but not on their psychological so I shouldn't it shouldn't be a pass fail situation it should be something about improvement just uh, uh, just going back into uh to show sort of the preparation thing we're talking about 
you know, and I don't know what anyone else thinks about this, but sometimes it does feel a bit like a covert operation. Like some people have a little bit more information on what's going on compared to others. You know, I've been to selection processes where I knew a load of, you know, I was in an airline where a load of pilots, they got, they got interviews, but they all knew something that I didn't know. And I only came to realize it after the selection process. Um, and, and like you get these um, websites where you can practice and all this, but they're never really, you know, the, the, I had a friend said to me, I'll just go on this website, just do these questions, just do this, do this, that's what it is. And it wasn't actually, it was a little bit more, you know, this website had um, long multiplication, but it wasn't purely long multiplication, it was uh, numerical reasoning, which is very different. Because you've got mathematics versus you have to interpret what mathematics you have to apply, which is very, very different. And, and the answer he gave to me at the end was later was, well, you know, do you want me to spoon feed it? And it's like some people do need that, I think. Some people do need a bit of spoon feeding. They need putting in the right direction. I don't know what you guys think on that. but I think as an airline and, and as a recruitment team, you, you failed a little bit if you end up... Um, failing candidates that would do well so so there has to be a, we have to remember as pilots that there is an interest from the airline to pick you if you fit uh, and, and it happens huh, that, that they they select pe- people uh, or fail people because the, the shoes are not shiny enough to me that's a that's a, a big red flag uh, in the recruitment process because it might be the best guy in the room that has the the dirtiest shoes um, so for sure if the recruitment team has sat down and, and the management of it has sat down and, and made, a, made an evaluation of what they want, then hopefully uh, they will be easy going about things that are not that important so long as they get the people that, that will work well for them. Right. Yeah, I see. Like uh, a question for you, Søren, as well. Like, can you see the difference between people who are just afraid to do an assessment, but they're actually good pilots, but they just have a little bit of fear for the assessment or people who are unprepared? Like how... Do you see someone who is afraid of assessment as someone who is uh, unable to deal with pressure? Uh, I think I think it's quite clear actually. Um, in in most cases, but then again, would I know if 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 we'd had some people through that that actually weren't very good and just decided to to try and look even more nervous so that they, but but honestly. Um, it, it's quite easy if you try and you have to manage the person a little bit, and it's the same thing we do in in the in the cockpit. Both the first officer managing the captain and the captain managing the first officer, we manage each other to to make things work. And where I was previously was, it was extremely important to make people feel comfortable, and that's also why these the things that we talk about today, we would talk about to the candidates in the in the sort of briefing before everything started to make people feel comfortable because the more comfortable people are, the better they are. And the more we could see how they actually would perform in a situation. So, and sometimes we just have people in and, and we would talk about the person afterwards. They're extremely nervous. You could see it. And then if you're, if you're skilled at it, and once you get a bit of experience with it in the sim, for instance, you sort of know where to push. And if you push on things that they should know, uh, set up for a VOR, a person that flies the, the aircraft that we did the assessment on, yeah, if the, if the person is all over the place and has no idea, then obviously there's a lack of skill. But if you put that person into that familiar situation that is extremely nervous, then sometimes I actually stop being nervous because now, ah, this I, this I know, huh? This I can do. Uh, and it's the same in the interview. Have them talk about something comfortable in the beginning just to, to make them feel that, uh, 
I don't have a, a stick under the table I'm going to hit you with in a minute, you know. I want to hear you tell stories about how you managed a specific situation. Yeah, well, I had an experience where I applied for a legacy carrier. And at the time, their recruitment process was literally just an interview. They would just hire people that already tiebreaker, just an interview, and that's it. You would be in or not. So I applied, got the interview, uh, prepared like mad, literally went for all the theory, ATPL-wise, FCOM-wise, uh, just prep like the standard HR questions just to get myself ready for the interview. Um, by the time I got there, got, got a quick case study, like five to 10 minutes, and then just an interview with the uh, Boeing fleet manager and HR person. Very lovely interview, went very well until they started asking questions about uh, what is the current share price of the company, uh, what is the annual revenue, etc. And I was like, um, I've read the annual report, but I'm, I'm I'm not a financial guy. I'm not a CFO. I I can't tell you loads about the financial situation of the company. I can tell it's being healthy, but I don't have like this deep technical analysis. I'm, I mean, I'm a pilot. I'm not I'm not a, a financial guy that sits in an office working with numbers. So I I can't give you the full picture if that's what you want. And then two days later, I got the result of the interview, and I said, um, they they failed me based on not having enough experience as a pilot. And I was like. Okay, so I applied for this position. I had plenty, I literally had all the requirements you wanted, but even loads more hours and experience what you requested. And so I asked for some feedback and they wouldn't give me any. So I was like, how can you give me the reason I'm not experienced enough while you haven't had a chance to actually see my experience because you didn't put me in a simulator. You didn't put me probably in a, in a situation where you could see I had experience on the job. And I think that, from my side, was very confusing because um, in daily life where I was just flying, I always had like good results in the simulator and on checks and on technical, got good feedback from line captains and training captains. So I think that from their side, there's something to work on. Yeah, I mean, I would I would put that to certain, as I say, to, to me, that almost feels like a failure of the recruitment, uh, not necessarily the recruitment team on the day, but the people who were selecting those for the recruitment because you you could say that you weren't experienced enough compared to other candidates, perhaps, but to say you don't have enough flight experience when you have a selection criteria, that doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. I'll second that for sure. And this is a perfect example of probably a failure to get the good candidate because of uh, irrelevant things, basically. As you said, you're not a CFO. It's not what you're being hired for. It will be a different interview and a different background entirely. Um, yeah, and it, it goes, now I forgot what I was about to say, but it goes back to, to basically, we, we used to say we're here to hire you, not to fail you. And that was honest, to be honest. We, we needed so many people that we were just, if we could have a recruitment day where everybody passed, perfect day for us. It was the best day. Yeah, but that's interesting as well, because also if you're saying that this carrier only had a, an interview, basically, I mean, they're also making a very low investment. So potentially they're going to interview a lot of people. Uh, and then pick and choose what they want, but it's, it's, um, it's just for me, it's a slightly unusual way of doing it. And I think I, I prefer like as as me and Soren experience. You know, you, you want to have a selection where you're you're looking at everyone and you want to give everyone the same opportunity to pass, um, and hope that everyone passes. But that's not always the case. Some airlines are are literally saying, okay, we're opening it up. We've got a thousand people. We need eight. How do we get from a thousand to eight? And that's a very different. Uh, recruitment way and they have they have to do these steps 
yeah, definitely in the, in post Corona times, that's that's definitely going to be the future, and and that's that's difficult. And so then the the only way you can do that is as a recruitment side, or a recruitment team, or a recruitment process. You need to have a, a step system, and that may be a a very um, uh, uh, sort of old fashioned. Okay, this many hours goes to the highest of the list, and in a lot of senses that, that makes sense, right? Because yeah, the more experienced people uh, should be should be better in the roles in principle. But when you're comparing like for like candidates, then it's then it, it gets different. But it's going to be. I mean, I've no idea how you would do it nowadays if you were going to be recruiting. If you wanted 50 guys on the 7-3 right now, how many people are going to, in Europe, how many people are going to apply for that? It's an enormous, enormous process to whittle that down. So it's uh, it's going to be a challenging time for the flight tech recruitment side of things, I think. Yeah, I totally agree. And now it's a, you have to be extremely, uh, you have a, have, a, have a crude net initially, and then you, 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 you tighten that net as, as you get further into the pile. And hopefully... As an airline, you do it before you actually start pulling the candidate uh, in for interviews and uh, and time, and um, yeah. And and regarding feedback earlier, I'll I'll be quick, uh, uh, Davy. As you said, you get a bit of feedback, but you won't get proper feedback. That that's that's can be very frustrating for a candidate, I would assume. And uh, I guess in that case, it would make a lot of sense to not give feedback. And and again, be honest about that. We don't give feedback. Yeah, a lot of companies do as well. Most companies don't give feedback, but. There are certain companies, especially more legacy carriers, that invest the whole process. They will give you the whole feedback. And then I think it's very important that uh, if you do get feedback, which is very unusual, then you really have to look through it and try to be honest with yourself and, and, and look at that and also see, okay, maybe it's just you don't fit that company. You haven't failed, but you just don't fit that profile. But also then try to use that information as well and see where you can improve yourself. Yes, sir, and as a recruiter, do, do you think that with with the amount of competition coming up that you should prepare different for an assessment post corona than pre corona since the competition Myself is or yeah yeah like in general like how do you think the recruiters will will manage the situation or have a look at the at the recruits from now on because there's so much choice for them they can just cherry pick the the, the new pilots like yeah i mean an ideal situation would be to try and align yourself with uh, with with what they cherry pick for and and that's yeah. the, the information that's not necessarily available out there so it's all about um, connection now the, these days actually then huh? it will play a big role uh, it shouldn't uh, definitely uh, again you you want the best candidate not not the one you know the best um but yeah i mean and there there is an amount of lock in it now these days as well if you have a uh, 3000 applicants for five positions you're more than likely to be uh, be sorted out at some point before you get to an interview. Yeah, and I think we all are. I don't know. I think maybe sorry, you, uh, your opinion on this as well. But I would say that one thing I would one question I would very much prepare myself for if I was going for an assessment now would be one of the first questions I would ask as a, rec- as a recruiter is what have you been doing during your time of uh, unemployment? Making a podcast. Mm-hmm. There we go. There you go. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's, that, that's the question I would prepare for as well, because that will also tell you a lot, uh, because we can't ask so much about flight experience from the last 12 months. So let's ask about what you're doing, the, the process of what you've been going through. And that will also tell you a lot about the person's, uh, a lot about their competencies as well, I think. What do you think, sir? I, I completely agree with that. Um, 
Yeah, I really agree with that. Uh, and it's funny because I hear things from people as well. I don't ride things on that are non- non-aviation this year. You know, I've been laying roof for six months. Uh, and people are like, I don't, don't ride that on there. Uh, for me, I definitely ride it on there because it shows that you've, you've started something else. You've gotten going with something else because I don't feel comfortable sitting on my hands. I go a little bit crazy from it. So I have to go do something. And that's also why I fly drones now. And, and you guys have started this, uh, this podcast. It's an excellent thing. And, and it keeps you going and it keeps you motivated and, and basically running. Well, I was going to say, I mean... I, I've navigated my way so far, for example, financially, um, through things like stock trading, trying to start a business, um, you know, which actually led to this, really. You know, we, we, this is how we, we really started. We were talking about business and where to go from here. Um, if you end up in an interview and, someone, and they say that to you, what, what looks better to say, I, you know, oh, I went and got a job straight away? I, I'm not saying it's better, but what I mean is, are they gonna are they gonna frown upon something where someone says well i've been on doing something entrepreneurial or versus i just went and got another job versus you know i went to fly somewhere you know i mean obviously if you've been flying you've been flying but what what are you going to expect is the best answer for something like that i guess my uh best answer to that would be it depends on the person you're, you're sitting ne- in front of uh, if, if the person is is generally a hard worker that just puts his head down or her head down and and goes to work uh, regardless of what it is then they'll appreciate that and of course they'll also appreciate the, the entrepreneurial thing but to them it might even seem a little bit yes you less useful because you're you're not actually making money you're you're, you're starting something that is pro bono in a way um, it depends on the person to be honest and I think again we're back to being honest describe who you are and, and what you decided to do um just the fact that you dare stand by that i think is a is a is a big trait and it shows confidence in the person that's interviewing you perfect guys i think we uh we've uh, have our hour slot with uh, mr cern and uh we appreciate it a lot uh thank you very much for coming and joining us and uh, having this conversation have you enjoyed the experience absolutely my pleasure um thanks for having me guys and uh, as i said uh, Fair enough. I've done some recruitment. So have you, Tim. And and but we're all pilots, huh? And we're we're all uh, fairly close to each other in the understanding of this. I think somewhere. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Perfect, uh, Gary. Happy. Yeah, it was great. Best one. Um, yeah, thanks very much. And uh, it was great talking to you, Soren. Likewise, thank you, Robert. Yeah, thank you, guys. Thank you, Soren, as well for uh, your insight and in, uh, in all this. Like you said, we're all in this together. We're all pilots. So yeah, we know what's up. Exactly. Sure. Uh, Davy. Yeah, it was a it was a pleasure. I mean, a uh, very interesting conversation, and uh, I enjoyed this one. Hope to see you again uh, somewhere in real life, soon and uh, let's have a beer. I'm sure we will. It's a small business. <laughs> That's for sure. It's a busy. Perfect. Thank you, uh, everyone, for listening. As always, please like, review, and share this podcast if you've enjoyed the experience. Season one is uh, almost finished recording now, and uh, we're looking forward to sharing with you new and exciting content from season two. Uh, we'd love you to get in contact with us uh, with suggestions of what you'd like to hear. And please, otherwise, stay tuned for the next installment of the Stuck Mike podcast.